So Matthew is going to bring us reflections on what it means to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And we'll pray for him before he speaks to us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's loving letter to the Christians at Philippi. We thank you that your word can speak to us today as powerfully through your spirit as it ever did. And so we pray this morning for Matthew as he speaks to us with his reflections on what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. Bless him, Lord, and inspire him through your spirit with the words that you want us to hear. And bless us, Lord, and inspire us through your spirit that the words may take root in our lives, in our hearts and our minds, and bear fruit for the future. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. <clears throat> Are you happy this morning? Yes. Fantastic. Let me read you um, a slight tangent from Philippians, um, but we're in a series on Philippians, so I'm taking that as my right to bombard you with scriptures from there. Um, if you have your Bible still open to Philippians and you want to read with me, you can go to chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you rejoicing this morning, friends? And if you're not, I wonder if you have cause that you can find in the reality of God's work in your lives that can give you cause for rejoicing. Not an entirely random point in the Roman Catholic calendar. I was at Mass here yesterday, and the priest who was officiating reminded us that today in the... um, a liturgical calendar is what we call Gaudate Sunday. It's the third Sunday of Advent. Um, Gaudate, the Latin for rejoice, the first words. Um, if this was a, a Roman Catholic Mass, it would be the first words that you'd hear, rejoice. So I thought I'd say them to you. And I'm seeing smiles appear throughout the room. So well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Let me ask you some questions to get you thinking. Whose authority do you live under? What rules do you feel compelled to obey? What culture do you consider yourselves a part of? And finally, how do those in authority above us, the rules we live by and the culture we're a part of, say something which is good and authentic about Jesus Christ in the way we live out those things in our lives? Last week, Alex Hughes joined us, and he reflected on what it was, or what it is, to be in Jesus Christ. And he challenged and comforted us with the truth that there is nothing, nothing at all that we can do that will make us more or less in Christ. Because being found in Christ is God's work of grace. It's his gracious invitation to us. We see it in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if only you'll open the door and let me in, I will come in and share fellowship with you, share table with you. Table will be laid in a bit. 
God's gracious invitation that um, he will be in our lives if only we will accept him. So Alex told us that, you know, this was a work of grace. To be in Christ is a work of grace. But our task is to inhabit Christ, inhabit Christ more and more. And, and Alex drew the example of going to reside in a foreign country. He chose France. You might in your mind want to choose the Caribbean or somewhere other. Um, but I'll let you enjoy some creative imagination there. But if you move to a foreign country, there's that process, isn't there? There's that journey of adjustment where you begin to learn the language, the cultural norms, the, the structure of society in that country, and you inhabit that country and the experience of it more and more as, as you live there uh, for longer. So if last week we, are, we were looking at what it is to be in Christ, this week we're thinking about how we might be in Christ's kingdom. So I want to take you to Philippians and to the city of Philippi. Now, first, something about the place itself. Jeff, can I have my one slide? Thank you. If we gaze our eyes at the map, Philippi is in the middle of the map, though at the top of the Aegean Sea um, on the southern coast of what is the region of Macedonia. It's a key strategic city or town um, in the region um, because it sits almost dead centre between Rome and, you know, parts of Europe and then Asia and was well connected by several major trunk roads which came through, um, which was really important to the Romans, for example, for the spreading of the Roman Empire. And, of course, Philippi became a Roman colony. And there were several trunk roads which uh, sort of ran with some separation, as you'll work out, because of sea, um, from Rome uh, through and through Philippi into parts of um, northern Asia. Um, and the one road which ran through um, Philippi, and if you Google this, you can see images of this road, uh, was the Via Ignatia. And for those of you who enjoy your Roman history, and I won't say too much, but for those of you who do, you can go online and read about some of the Roman battles that happened on the road which runs through Philippi. It was a significant place. When, someone became, uh, when somewhere became a Roman colony, um, Rome sent a detachment, if you like, they planted into that new place. And um, they would send a detachment generally of veteran soldiers, and Rome's culture, language, governance, and laws would be firmly established. This is not a model that we would want to use of church planting, or for example, where we would want to understand the culture of the community uh, that we're seeking to be a part of, and its norms, and its history. When Rome went somewhere, Rome came as a package deal. Uh, and if you were in that place, things would get nasty and awkward if you didn't submit to the Roman um, authority. However, still in this place, in this city of Philippi, there is diversity. There is, there is diversity. And if we look, and if you turn with me to Acts chapter 16, we see Paul's first encounter with the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul and his um, companion or student, um, Timothy, are being led by the Spirit as to where they should go and sow seeds of ministry in Europe and even eventually into Asia. Uh, for those of you who um, enjoy um, biblical um, stuff about Acts, this is Paul's second missionary trip that we're being a part of now that we're looking at. 
And Paul is led with Timothy through a vision. And if you look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 9, we find Paul asleep at night. And he has a vision of a man pleading with him to come to Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is the region north of Philippi on the map, um, stretching up from the Aegean coast. So, So Paul has this vision of a man pleading with him to come to Macedonia and to help the church there. So Paul and Timothy set off and make their way uh, through Macedonia to Philippi. And whilst there, Paul has three encounters. Cast your eyes to verse 13. In verse 13, we meet Lydia, who is described as a worshipper of God. And Paul begins to teach and Lydia responds to Paul's message with great eagerness. And then in verse 16, we have another encounter. We meet a Greek woman who has uh, a spirit or possession about her, and she is being bought and sold uh, by by wealthier people um, so that she could tell them their fortunes. And again, we see something of the objectification of people um, and their issues that, you know, to pray into today about modern slavery. But we find this woman, this Greek woman, um, who found herself being bought and sold so she could tell people their fortunes. And Paul orders, commands the spirit out of her, much to the annoyance and my personal satisfaction of those who were trading this woman. And Paul and Silas now find themselves hauled before the magistrate And put in prison. And there we have our third encounter. So jump with your eyes to verse 23. In verse 23, we meet the jailer in the prison uh, where Paul and Silas are now incarcerated after setting free the possessed girl. The jailer is a Roman citizen and has been ordered to and does securely imprison Paul and Silas in one of the most secure places within the jail. He's fallen his orders. And yet after Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns and worship God, the doors of the jail are flung open, the chains are broken, and they have the opportunity of escape. But they don't. And because of the witness of Paul and Silas, this Roman jailer and his whole family, his whole household... Come to know the Lord and are baptized. A Christian, a Greek, and a Roman in this diverse community of Philippi, all in one city, healed, taught, and saved by the same message of Jesus Christ as brought by Paul and his companions. And if we move back um, to Philippians 1, we find that Paul is now back in prison. But he is looking back with fondness on his memories of ministering God's kingdom work to the diverse people of Philippi. And the sort of questions I would ask myself and invite you to join in with is, if you were Lydia, or the slave, or the jailer, What would your question, what would your answers to the questions I started with be? About whose authority you were living under? What rules did you abide by? 
perhaps most significantly, what culture shapes your life. But amongst all that difference and diversity, the common thread is that God's kingdom works to reveal the power and presence of God in different people and different contexts. Lydia has her faith deepened by Jesus' teaching, uh, by Paul's teaching about Jesus. The slave girl discovers that Jesus, uh, through being set free of the spirits possessing her, can have healing and a new lease of life. And the jailer and his entire family discover the promise of eternal life in Jesus through baptism. Three examples from Philippi of life in the kingdom of God. And this is good news. This is the life-transforming work of God in real lives that continues to this day. And what would be exciting is if we had the time to go around the room and share, you know, the hundred or so testimonies of God's work in our lives over the past week. We would see God's power and presence permeating through all of those stories, bringing affirmation, challenge, healing, bringing salvation. Now, we use this term kingdom um, in, in the Christian church, and you might be forgiven for sitting there wondering what, what on earth we mean when we use that term. Uh, and of course, depending on who you listen to, um, this morning it's me, you'll hear different things said. But I want to suggest to you this morning that God's kingdom is the place, in fact, any place and any time where God's power and presence are revealed and where God's people live under God's rule. I want to suggest to you this morning that God's kingdom is the place, any place, any time, where God's power and presence are revealed and God's people live under his rule. And the great thing is that we get to be part of this kingdom. We get to be used by God just as God used Paul to reach those three people. We get to be activists or agents of this kingdom. And we get to be used by God to reveal his power and presence in all the places that we we move and have our being. And we're going to be looking at that in some detail in our first series in the new year when we'll be looking at whole life discipleship as a church family. And we'll be really sort of um, pressing into what it is to be a Christian in the workplace. What it is to be a Christian and a person of purpose um, that God has called us to. What it is to speak up for truth and justice. Um, I'm looking forward to that series. But let's look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Paul says to the Christians in Philippi, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. There is the spiritual journey that involves coming to faith in Christ and becoming in Christ. This is the journey where we become inheritors of eternal life, And we have the hope of heaven to look forward to, of life um, in all the majesty of heaven with God. However, life in the kingdom is about more than a promise that is to come. It's about a promise that is being fulfilled even as we sit here this morning. For Christians, life in the kingdom is about the reality of heaven invading earth in the here and now. 
And if we just quickly, um, and if you just want to do this with me, turn to Philippians 3 verse 20. We'll just draw on this one verse. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So we've received salvation, but we don't have to wait to see heaven because we get to live in the kingdom of God where his power and presence are revealed. If we live under his rule, we see snapshots, glimpses of heaven invading earth in the here and now. Lydia had a faith deepened. The slave girl was set free of her slavery. A whole household came to know salvation through the witness of Paul and Silas. And my question to you really is, if you are found in Christ, how does that affect your life in such a way that people might see that you live under the authority and influence of Jesus Christ in the way you live your lives? And how does the way you live your lives demonstrate the power and presence of God so that people who don't know Jesus Christ and his transforming love might actually see a glimpse of heaven through you? It's a slightly overwhelming thought, isn't it? How might the way you live your lives, knowing the grace which you have received, impact the way you live so much that people might see a glimpse of heaven through your life. We go back to chapter 1 and verse 21. This is Paul. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul is a man who is confident in his hope of heaven and in his surety in the faith. And that is why he can speak not in a morbid way about desiring death, but because he desires to be in eternity with Jesus Christ. And yet he still has this inkling that there is something more that he is being called to do with his life in the here and now that keeps him, um, it, 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 it keeps him alive, that keeps driving him forward. And in Philippians 1, he's writing to the church in Philippi, a church that he has great fondness for. And he's saying, I want to remain active and alive so that I can go on encouraging you and seeing you grow in God's purposes for you so that the church in Philippi might rejoice more and more and enter fully, more fully into the life of the kingdom. And us this morning, the table's bare. 
But I suspect Linda has a plan. I hope she has a plan. (laughs) The table will be laid. We'll gather round the table and enjoy fellowship together. We'll share bread and wine as symbols of a foretaste of God's eternal banquet in heaven. A very real symbol of heaven invading earth in our worship this morning. So as I finish, let me ask you again. How will your life, if you are found in Jesus Christ, so reflect the reality of heaven that with Lydia, the slave girl, the Roman centurion, and countless other people throughout the ages see the reality of God's power and presence at work in their lives. Let's pray together. Let's just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just spend a few moments waiting on God's Spirit in this season of expectancy and hope. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.